0: welcome to the toka backstage podcast join Toca's executive director chris wolf in conversations with the artists and people behind the scenes of the torrance cultural arts foundation's performances and events
1: hi welcome to another edition of toka backstage this is chris wolf the executive director of the torrance cultural arts foundation today it was my pleasure to speak with julie baker from californians for the arts there were a number of issues that uh, local arts organizations were concerned about, so I thought I would ask the expert. Julie is an amazing individual taking on some big challenges for the arts in California, and uh, she has a lot of great things to say, so please take a listen and enjoy. Uh, So I'm honored and pleased and tickled pink to have Julie Baker here from Californians for the Arts. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're extraordinarily busy right now with everything that's going on, but it's, I found it really important that I have a chat with you because there's a lot of nonprofits in Torrance in the South Bay who um, were sort of hit with AB5 and are completely at a loss of how to deal with it. So can you just give a short summary of what AB5 is and how it affects nonprofit arts organizations?
0: Sure. AB5, well, first of all, thanks for having me, and it's uh, great to be here. Um, AB5 was a legislation that was, uh, it became law January 1st of 2020, and it basically codified the Dynamics decision, which changed how Um, People need to determine if someone's an independent contractor or an employee and basically made it more difficult to hire people as independent contractors and the default being that if you're not sure that person is an employee. And in the case of nonprofit arts organizations, it changed the, the way that it was determined to three-point test. Before that, the Borello decision, which is what has been the decision you should have been looking at for the last 20 plus years, um, that had more like a 12-point factor test. This tried to just bring it down to three points. The most challenging point, and they call it the ABC test, if you've heard people refer to that. The most challenging one is the B factor. And the B factor is um, where.
1: <laughs>
0: um, yeah, gorgeous. She was I know, texts and phone calls and everything else. Anyway. Um, So uh, the B factor said that basically, if you are in the same line of business as the as the organization or company you're working for, if you provide similar services to their core business, then you have to be an employee. So in the arts sector, that's really challenging, right? So if we're hiring, if you're a venue and you're hiring um, someone to perform there, you can't necessarily say that's not your core business, right? Is to present the arts or let's say you hire teaching artists and um, and, or you're doing a master class, again, how do you determine if that is not part of your core business? The A factor had a lot to do around controls, which is similar to what the Borello test was around. And the controls is really around, um, you know, the manner and means in which you work. If you can determine that you are um, independently um, uh, controlling that saying, I know I, I get to determine how much i make i have you know i'm negotiating my own wage i when i show up where i work the tools in which i use to work then you can justify that sounds more like you're independent in addition if you have a number of um of jobs that are similar so in other words you're not just providing that service to one company or organization so that's you know so that kind of gives you broad sweep of what AB5 um, did. And so it made that three point decision is, is the primary factor. And so that you have to determine. There, however, based on the work that I run two organizations, one is Californians for the Arts and that's a typical nonprofit organization, a C3. And then we also have California Arts Advocates, which is a C4. And we have a lobbyist in Sacramento who's texting me right now. And um, that is where we, we lobbied through California Arts Advocates um, to have an, uh, an exemption in AB5 for the arts and uh, sector. What we end up, ended up getting in the language of AB5 is an exemption for fine artists under professional services. And the deal with that is that there was actually no definition of fine artists. So really, that meant it was subject to interpretation. And Chris, you know, I mean, I did, I don't know, maybe 16, 18 different workshops with different employment lawyers each time. And everyone has a slightly different interpretation of AB5 because it hasn't been law, law long enough for there to be case law to look at it. Right. So really, for an arts nonprofit organization, I would suggest that, number one, you look at it and say, can we determine if someone that we're hiring is an arts a fine artist, and if you could fi- figure out a way to fit into that definition, I think uh, you know for your board ultimately we 've all run enough nonprofits to know ultimately it 's the board 's decision on the amount of risk they 're willing to take in terms of being um, determining you know that uh, whether or not fine artists fits that definition, um, and also how much risk do you think you 're exposing your organization to being um you know audited if you were to uh find if they were to find out that you you know somebody um was misclassified. Um and there is there's a, a lot of fees for misclassification, particularly if it's if you if it's determined that you misclassified a worker um intentionally, right? So you don't ever want to <laughs> intentionally misclassify someone. Now there are two um uh, bills that the same author Lorena Gonzalez from San Diego who's head of appropriations um has made to fur to create further exemptions to AB5 so the thing about AB5 is that even if people say get rid of the whole law there's still a supreme court decision that has changed the way you're supposed to determine if someone is um an independent contractor or an employee. What AB5 did is that extended those benefits to workman's comp and other things, but it also said who's exempt. So that sort of revision of that law continues. And so there's two bills right now, AB 1850, and I think the other one is AB 2257. And you'll see some exemptions now for musicians. You'll see exemptions for uh, some writers, um, like newspaper journalists, cartoonists, uh, photographers. So it's starting to come um, where we're finding that there's continued exemption language. So I would say stay tuned and keep looking at it. And, um, and you know, right now, of course, everything is about COVID and, and right. surviving that. Um, uh, but yes, AB 5 is still there
1: so that that's the other thing is i mean arts organizations well everybody small businesses in general have been hit really hard with ab5 because they there was this massive scramble to figure out okay who's an employee who's who's an independent contractor and then covid hit and everybody's just like well it doesn't really matter now because there's so much other things to worry about um and i want to get to covid but i i the 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 definition of, of fine artist because it is so vague is it is it safe to say i mean not that you wouldn't fight this in court but not
0: giving you any legal advice <laughs> <laughs>
1: would it be safe to say that it's it's well the definition is so broad that you, it's up to individuals to say whether they in other words if an, if an artist came to me and said i am a fine artist would would that then be an assumption on my part to say, okay, I can hire you as, a, as an independent contractor?
0: I think, I mean, first of all, you have to make sure they check all the other boxes, right? right. You know, the control factors that they have multiple um, other clients that they serve in the same, you know, similar services. I would make sure they have a business license, you know, their own website. I mean, things that just sort of really make sure that they're that they, that you're also very important that you're in compliance with Borrello, number one, because even if you become exempt from AB5, you still go back to Borrello. It doesn't mean that they're automatically an independent contractor. So I think number one, would I just say, look at that decision and and utilize that for sure. But um, I think, you know, one of the things is that it's, it is the uh, employers, um, they're the ones who are liable so in other words even if somebody comes to you and says i want to be an independent contractor i'm totally happy being an independent contractor let's just move forward as we've always done again it's the determination of how much risk you feel like that's exposing your own organization if you know going into it they really don't satisfy either borello well then for sure they have to be an employee or um you're you're not certain they satisfy the ABC test, that's really the determination you need to make. I would say that if you determine that it could fit into the fine artist category, that they check the boxes for Borello, that they have multiple you know, um, gigs that are similar, et cetera, et cetera, then I would also suggest that they write the contract, that you don't write the contract, um, because that is also showing that they are more in control of the situation, wow. making sure that they are the ones um, determining, you know, they're negotiating a rate, that sort of thing. So um, I think that there's things that you can look at in that way to make sure that you're also um, doing it in this p- potentially the safest way that you can. I would say that number one, if you can talk to an employment lawyer um, and and see if you can get some advice there as well.
1: Okay. Um, so COVID. Um, yes. <laughs> I, there, there, it, there's so many webinars and so many zoom calls that we've all been on talking about you know how, how it's safe to reopen when are we going to reopen what is it and i hate this phrase but what is the new normal going to be yeah how from 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 your perspective wh- how do you see this all playing out what do you do you see a light at the end of this tunnel
0: um gosh that's that's a very challenging question and in, in, in on so many different personal and professional levels but let's let's try to address it from the professional in terms of what does it look like for the arts and culture sector in california which is primarily what we're you know we fight for and to make sure that you, there's a voice for that in sacramento and in with lawmakers i would say that um one of the positive things that I've seen come out of it is that more people are willing to to work together. I think that if we oftentimes in the arts we we tend to silo so even within our own disciplines we silo and it's not to say that you shouldn't have associations of course you should there should be a Cal presenters and there should be symphony you know organizations and museum organizations and because you all we all need to um, learn from each other but at the same time we need to see ourselves as part of a whole ecosystem and part of that ecosystem is also the entertainment industry and the entertainment industry is extremely um you know, uh, can be, can be quite powerful Uh, and, and they're also shut down. So what we've seen is that there are a lot more people coming into advocacy, into lobbying, into recognition that they're going to need some subsidies, some support during this as we are likely, we knew we were the first to shut down, we're likely the last to reopen to full capacity. Um, So what does that mean for us? It means that we can't earn revenue. And, you know, the interesting thing for the arts sector is arts nonprofits has always been that if you had more earned revenue than contributed revenue, you were looked to as a healthy organization, right? Today, if you have more earned revenue and less contributed revenue, you're in much worse shape than Right. So um, that's 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 a whole new new paradigm for all of us to try to understand. So one hopeful piece is that I see us starting to speak to the entertainment sector more so and recognition that we are part of what we have all talked about as the creative economy. I think also what's hopeful is a recognition and one of the things that we've been working on is really trying to change the the perception of what the arts do. Um, and one of the things that happens, and we all know this, is that in the good times, the arts are there, they're funded, there's more money, people go, they spend it, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And the public sector tends to put money towards it because it's the economy is doing well and we see the multiplier and everything else. In the harder times, what we've seen often is that's when the arts get cut and sometimes they get cut first, right? And so what we want to make sure is that um, we're not being uh redlined uh and and part of our messaging is around artists as second responders and and we see that the arts have really stepped up during this time period everybody has looked to musicians playwrights poets um actors theatrical productions uh these wonderful zoom you know sort of edited versions of people performing things from Um, Hamilton or whatever else it may be as a way to provide comfort and hope and inspiration um, and distraction and education for our children that are at home. And yet we don't always equate that with compensation. We don't always say that that actually deserves to be uh, recognized as work. Um, And so one of our are real trying to, to shift the messaging around in going towards artists as second responders is this idea that artists and arts organizations that employ them and the cultural institutions that make up California are essential and our essential workers in, in small business and employment and in um, providing services that actually are, are, are helping people. And not just from a spiritual and soulfulness standpoint, but actually providing these sort of social safety net organizations. I think all of us start to pivot, right? Right now, it's maybe you can't deliver uh, an arts program in the way that you normally have, but you're trying to figure out how to do it online and how to monetize and all those other things. But then look at your engagement programs. Who are you serving in those arts engagement programs and how critical are they to maybe those youth that, that you've connected with or the adults or the seniors or people in isolation. So how do we make the argument that now we're not just there for entertainment and although entertainment's important We're providing something that is really of of critical value and of service, not only for our economy, but for um, reaching underserved, reaching these under-resourced, reaching these uh, folks who are in um, uh, marginalized communities. And the arts have always done that. And as we see the economy shifting and everything else that's been shifting, and we're gonna be in a public health and mental health crisis for years to come, where can the arts, you know, serve and play in this, in this arena. And that's really something I think that is a shift that our, our sector is going to need to, to really, um, move, you know, um, put ourselves forward in, in sort of saying, we are here for that. We are part of that. We can help with homelessness issues. We can be preventative for children to keep them engaged so that they don't go into drugs and alcohol. I mean, all of the things that we know in the arts sector, we need to maybe now lead with that a little bit more. So, so we're seeing the hopefulness in terms of that. I think it's really important that the arts sector is at the table, And one of the frustrations that we have, even though we have a governor who absolutely supports the arts and has for the last two years put in money to the the Arts Council's budget, the State Arts Agency's budget, he's now facing a huge economic crisis and and public health crisis. We wanna make sure that he looks to the arts sector and the culture sector, not just the entertainment. And that's important. For example, today he's meeting, he's doing a round table with film and TV people. That's great but how about our arts and cultural institutions? I mean, some of them are huge in terms of their budgets and, and, and we know again, the multiplier impact in our communities as well as the social service net features that we have. So, so we wanna make sure we're at the table. So I think that's important as well that we're, we're doing in our advocacy is, is to bring that to the attention of the governor and to, and to lawmakers and saying, we need to even be a part of how the, the state recovers. We should be a part of that conversation.
1: And that's, that's actually uh, an, um, first of all, that's amazing what you said. Thank you for that. And I do agree that the arts <laughs> are, uh, you know, sort of the second responders, but then take, for example, I'm using, I'm using a hypothetical. You have yeah. a city council who supports an organization or, or who, who has an overriding, su- um, ability to support the arts organizations, but they're also sh- facing a shortfall. Mm-hmm. And they have to sort of budget that that uh, their balance their budget. They're automatically you the arts organizations are faced with a decision on their end: are they going to look at to fire and police, or are they going to cut the arts? Well, needless to say, the arts are like you said, always the first thing on the chopping block. As arts organizations to to local um, politicians, what what steps can we take to say, hey? No, don't forget about us.
0: I think it's really important, again, to lead them with your arts engagement strategies. What are you doing in your communities that are actually supporting things that police and fire and first responders are doing? In other words, you know, if you're working in a way that is um, like maybe you're working with juveniles and maybe you're working in within local uh, juvenile justice, uh, you know, um, uh, Programs. Maybe you're working within your local prisons. Maybe you're working with students um, who are who are requiring, you, you know um that are in title one schools maybe you know things that that show that you are actually part of the solution and making sure that actually it's not going to the police and fire right like how do we we show that we are um we are helping in in our communities in a much broader sense and it's um again i'm not saying that arts for arts sake isn't valuable of of course, it is. We need those voices. We need to reflect right now, uh, probably more than ever, because this is so strange. These times where we're isolated and we're using videos to communicate, and we don't uh, talk or you know, in person and spit on each other anymore. We're not allowed to. So, so what does that mean for humans, right? What does that mean for our future? What does that mean for our children? Um, and and I think we need artists to reflect on that. But at the same time, we also know how vital arts are to wellness and to mental health, right, wellness as well. So I think showing that using data to talk about arts in the intersection with public health, arts in the intersection with mental health, arts in the intersection of preventative measures to keep kids not going into juvenile halls, people, you know, um, providing services. I think that's where you say, how can we work with our police departments? How can we work with our fire department can we be of service in that way how can we use our venues um if we're not able to open to full capacity and those venues that we spend a lot of money on in some communities uh, to make beautiful how can we utilize them right now how can we repurpose and i think it's it's a proactive going to your cities and saying we want to be of service we are creative i can't think of a, uh, a a sector that knows how to stretch a dollar better than the arts, you know, use us, put us at the table, put arts, put artists in your um, in your meetings, and have them, you know, thinking about creative solutions. And 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 it goes down back now to a sort of like what happened in the 30s, right, in the WPA, and then in the 70s with CETA in terms of training and that sort of stuff. It's like let's put artists to work, let's put creatives to work, let's put arts organizations. To work, it might look different than what we're used to, but we're ones who know how to when the show isn't going the way you thought it goes, we change it, right? We're in production, we are in, um, you know, we are those folks. So I think that there's a role for us to play. So I think it might be really coming not with a hand out for money, but a hand to say, I'm here to help. And I think that that is a different. Uh, way to approach what's happening right now. We need to be perceived and um, and illustrate how we are part of the solution, not just uh, needing dollars. Because if you're right, those dollars are are stretched. And if we don't get more federal funds, as Governor Newsom talked about, you know, the state's going to have major, major issues. So I think that, you know, it's, it is, like I said, I think it's looking at it and saying, well, how can we if we can't put on the show like we normally do, uh what can we do in the in the short term and what do we the long term solutions need to look like for the arts to be integrated, not separated and I think that that's really critical. Put us into a variety of departments, not just into one
1: uh, that i gotta say i'm I'm personally uh feel very comfortable in the fact that you're in your position because I, I know you from, mostly from your time at the Center for the Arts and the World Fest where you did amazing work. You're actually the only other presenter I know of that actually did a Dancing with the with the Stars event. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that was great. And, and, uh, and I know you had time in New York in uh, working in the visual arts. So knowing that, that the Cal- California for the Arts is sort of run by somebody who understands both visual and performing arts gives me sort of a sense of calm. So thank you for for all Good. your work. <laughs>
0: oh that's my pleasure. I mean I think, you know, I this is my passion. This is, you know, this is what I I absolutely live for in terms of understanding the impact that we make. And I think that, you know, we it's really, really important right now, more than ever, and that that's a phrase that's overused more than ever, but we'll, we'll use it here, um, to really, and I'm going to use this phrase, which is raise our voices for the arts right now, and, and, and to, to really talk about what it is that you do for your communities. And if you can't talk about it, ask your partners to talk about it ask other people in other sectors to say no 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 we need the arts in our community because of and the economic piece is really critical of course and we've led with the creative economy um, you know sort of campaign for years now one of our challenges I think right now is that while we're shut down and if we are truly the last to open our economic impact is lessened right now Right. Like we can't actually be the thing like in the beginning when we didn't recognize what it meant to be, let's say, part of phase four in the state of California, which means that we need a vaccine. Right. We need antibody tests. Um, If we truly have to wait for that, and let's say that's truly let let's be hopeful for spring 2021. But let's say it's fall 2021. What does that mean for our sector in terms of economic um, devastation? So. We can't really necessarily lead with, well, we'll be open and therefore the restaurants will open and the hotels will fill because we're not open, right? That's, that's a challenge for us. So that's where it's like we have to figure out, <clears throat> and it's not a figuring out because we do it already. We just haven't led with this argument. We know this as people in the arts, what we do for our communities. And it is so much more than just the economic <laughs> argument. That's really critical and really important, but it's a lot more than that.
1: Yeah, and amen to that because I know like just actually a couple of months ago, I got a unsolicited email or voice uh, Facebook message from a kid that I taught acting to when he was like 13. And it was Chris, because of your classes, you know, I, I'm alive and not in jail and you know on exactly. drugs because he found his creative outlet. And it's stuff like that, that as artists and people who a people, we, that's what we live for. But then when you, right. you go to a city council member and say, the arts can save lives, they go, yeah, but so can the fire and the police. And it's like, right. I see your point, but it's you know, apples and oranges.
0: And that's why we think that the second responders campaign actually makes a lot of sense because they're right. First responders save lives. Second responders rebuild lives. We're not running into burning down buildings. We're not doing that. That's not our job. And um, and we are super, super grateful for those first responders. But when they pull that person out of the burning building and that person now has to rebuild their life and figure out how they're going to go on and have a voice and um, find their voice and find their purpose, that's when the arts come into play. And we know that and that's why we show up for work every day. None of us, particularly in the arts and culture, small budget or even large budget nonprofit arts organizations are there for the money. That's not why we went into this. We went into this because we really believe that we transform lives and communities. And that's what we have to really make sure that we are out there talking about and and sharing those impactful stories with data Certainly, and recognition that we are all of those things. We are small businesses, we are a part of the economy, we are critical to our communities, we are just transforming lives, and we need to be recognized for that and invested in. We've been systemically undercapitalized as an industry forever, (laughs) let's just be honest, right? We're always fighting for the funds. Our is even greater now but we have to pivot, we have to look at it from a perspective that is completely new. This is nothing that we've ever seen before in terms of public health crisis, mental health crisis. We're gonna have increased homelessness, we're gonna have increased unemployment. So what can we do? Where can we be of service? And and we all do it in our own communities. So now we just have to make sure that we're really articulating that and having our partners And this, like I said, I think this is important. We can toot our own horn and we should, and we should do it in a really arti- like, you know, clear way. But at the same time, it's helpful if you have your partners. So if you're doing programs like this, like you said, that that person who wrote to you, maybe it's also, maybe the schools are stepping up for you. Maybe it's a homeless place that you've been interacting with, uh, you know, shelter or services. Maybe it is your local hospital that says, you know, I when I ran the center, as you mentioned here, we had um, support from our hospital because the hospital recognized how critical the arts, you know, we did a whole campaign. Laughter is the best medicine. It's like, it truly is. We need this stuff, (laughs) you know? Um, But what we, we often do this thing, which is this is the paradigm shift. We want to get away from starving artists. That is not what we want. We want thriving artists. We want to be recognized as essential as workers, as people that have something to really offer just as, just as any other um, social service or just as any other profession, you know, and, and we do it with celebrity, but we don't do it with what we, what maybe you call boots on the ground, right? The people who are doing the hard work in our communities. And so, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big idea. It's, it's something that it's going to take all of us to work towards, but this is the time when we can do it and we're going to have to do it because really we have no other choice. We are going to have to look for, um, you know, continued emergency aid for artists and, and, you know, people who, um, and for arts organizations, whether that's local in your communities, whether it's with private or public, you know, we'll continue to, to look for these opportunities. Um, but we're definitely also going to have to figure out ways where we can be at the table with a wide variety of aspects of how they are going to revitalize and, um, and create wellness for the state of California. The arts and culture sector should absolutely be a part of that solution.
1: Um. Amen (laughs) to everything you just said. (laughs) Um, Let's get to
0: go to church. Let's get to Arts and Culture Church.
1: um, So, if people want to learn more about AB50 and what's happening with COVID, they can check out Californians for the Arts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We have, um, you know, our website has updates there. We continue to do that. I would also encourage you to um, become, uh, get on our email list because I send out weekly reports and action alerts as well. And then also to follow us on social media, a lot of times Twitter, because it's, you know, we have to be there, Um, Facebook and Instagram are our social media channels. And so we're out there with those things as well. If you're interested in, you know, becoming a part of sort of the campaign around artists as second responders, we have we have ways that you can also support on that and, and take that concept and, and bust it out within your own communities. Um, so yeah, so check it, check us out. And our website's californiansforthearts.org. We are like everyone else, you know, a small nonprofit organization uh, doing our best to, to serve the sector and to represent the voice in, in Sacramento and in DC as well.
1: Well, I have to say the Calif- the California art sector is in good hands with you. I cannot thank you enough for your your amazing work and also for your time today. You've been great.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great to quote unquote, see you. <laughs> be safe, be well, everyone. And um, we'll get through this because we are, we are the ones who know how to be super, super creative. So we'll do it.
1: Amen. Well, thanks again. <laughs> Julie, we'll talk soon.
0: Okay. Take care.